Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, we are so glad you're here. By the way, Drew, uh, in addition to your Dairy Queen gift card, $20,000 gift card for Harmony House as well for you. Does anybody remember Harmony House? No? Okay, that one fell. Real flat. All right, Sam Goody, does that one work? No? Circuit City? No? None of them? Okay. It's a place that doesn't exist anymore. All right. Hey, we are glad you are here this morning. It's a holiday weekend, and we're still at church despite the rain. We're here. We are glad you are here. I am happy to be home as well. That Puerto Rico trip that they mentioned, I was one of the people who went on it with 18 of our high school students, uh, four of us adults. We had a great, great time. Uh, Last Saturday, we caught a very early flight to Puerto Rico, Uh, spent a week there uh, doing some awesome stuff and uh, growing with our teens and just doing some great stuff with Send Relief. We worked on a couple houses and I'm sure in the coming weeks, if you follow us on social media, there's a lot of pictures you can look at. Uh, we got home Friday evening. And let me just say it was just a great, great, great blessing of a trip. Um, if you prayed for us, if you uh, donated to some of our students, they raised the money. Uh, anything that you gave to help us get there, it's appreciated and it exceeded our expectations. And God did some amazing things in the hearts of our students, the hearts of uh, of our leaders and uh, through the hearts of the people that we worked with. Uh, Puerto Rico, by the way, is beautiful. If you've never been, loved it, loved being there, but I am glad to be home at the same time. Um, our week essentially looked like uh, Monday through Thursday. We got up early in the morning. We went out and we worked during the day. To give you an idea, we were working on houses, painting and fixing roofs. The first day in Umacao, which is where we were, they told us that it was 114 degrees. Yeah. So when I say I'm glad to be home, uh, I miss some things at home. I miss my children, especially. I just got to see my daughter finally for the first time a few minutes before church started. I saw my sons yesterday. They picked us up from the airport. Um, I missed my house. I especially missed my bedroom because uh, I mentioned how we did that, that working outside. We worked outside all day, and then we ate Puerto Rican food, and then me and Barry came and shared a two-bedroom suite with nine high school boys. And by Thursday night... Smelled just like you think it would, all right? So I am so happy to be in my bed at my house. I love those kids. I don't love what they smelled like when we left, all right? Um, glad to be home. But I'm also glad to be here at church because this is my church home. Um, and I think it's important to have a home church. Uh, if you're here today, maybe this is your very first time. First of all, we're so thankful that you chose Miles City. Maybe you're in the midst of your three-week challenge, week two or week three. Or maybe you've been here for a couple weeks, a couple months, and you just haven't decided yet. I would encourage you to uh, continue thinking about making a home your church home. Whether it's Miles City or not, I think it's important to have a church that you can call your church home that you can go to. Now, we, we went to church last Sunday. We were at a place called Summit Church. It was a great service. We heard a pastor named J.D. Greer give the message. It's a... Uh, He's a pastor in one of the Carolinas. I'm not sure if it's north or south, but uh, it was his plant church, and uh, he gave the message. Uh, it's great, but it's great to be here. I, I, I do love Miles City. You know why? Because I think, I think we're pretty awesome. Um, is that too braggy to say? Like, just get on stage and be like, we're awesome. Like, I'm not the pastor, so I think I'm allowed to say it, and I just did anyway, so, um, you know, oh well. Uh, but here's what we're doing. We are starting a new series for the month of July. We've got five Sundays this month, starting today. It's called One Hit Wonders, and, you know, you, you heard the game, and uh, some of us are better at One Hit Wonders than others, um, you know, not casting aspersions or anything, uh, but, you know, when you hear the term One Hit Wonder, what that means is a musician or a band or a recording artist that's, e- that's you know, linked with one specific song. Some examples besides the ones we heard. There's a guy named Robert Van Winkle. Anyone familiar with that name? All right, his, his musical name is Vanilla Ice. 
forever known as the man who sang or rapped Ice Ice Baby, although Cohen Lincoln and Liam Martin can do it too. All right, and they did it this week more than, more than a couple times. Los Del Rio is a band that will forever be known for one specific song, the Macarena. The Baja Men, one song in their history, one of the most deep and profound questions that has ever been asked in life, who let the dogs out? Forever will be linked with that song. So as we go through this series this month, I want you to think and consider, if you're watching at home, online, we are glad you're watching with us. There's a seat right there, though, if you're watching online. It's still not too late. You can get here. Um, I want you to consider what song does your life's song sing? As we live our life, our life sings a song. It sings a tune. And what are you known for? Just like those artists are known for their biggest hits and those songs, they're also known for other things outside of that. What are you known for? Are you known for your faithfulness? Are you known for your lack of faithfulness? What you're known for carries into the lives of others who know you, and it carries well beyond your years. What you are known for will last for years and years and years. So we would ask you to consider, what is your life song singing? And we're going to give you some, some helpful topics that we think can help guide that life song. And what we're going to talk about today is ambition. Ambition is uh, our first topic, and we're going to be looking at different passages of Scripture. We just got done going through the book of Daniel, chapter by chapter. This month, we're jumping around into different books. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians today, and as we talk about ambition, ambition is when we have goals or desires, things that drive us. Uh, over at our Lion campus, our campus pastor there, Maya Williams, he's giving the same message that I'm giving, and he shared what his ambition was, and he's got some pictures, and I've got the pictures on our slides too. Maya aspires to be a CrossFit uh, athlete, and he actually does CrossFit. This is not Maya. This is a CrossFit athlete. Uh, that is a lot of weight to be lifting up, but Maya specifically has a goal in mind. By the time he is 45 years old, if we can show the next picture, Maya wants to be, and I wrote it down here so I don't get it wrong, he wants to be uh, a CrossFit regional qualifier. I hope I got that right. He wants to be a regional CrossFit Masters competitor. That's his ambition. Uh, I don't know if you can tell by looking. Not mine, all right? Uh, I, am, I am with Maya all every step of the way. I support him. I root for him. But I don't train with Maya, all right? He talks about doing box jumps and lunges and fitness. I'm like, I can fit this whole peanut butter cup in my mouth, all right? That's about the, the depth of fitness for me, which I probably should get better at because I was on the roof of Puerto Rico. There were several moments where I thought I was going to die, all right? Uh, but I didn't. And I'm here, and I'm home, and I'm excited to talk about ambition. My ambition is not CrossFit. And that's okay. Yours doesn't have to be either. But we all have things that drive us. We all have things that we push towards. As we dive into Scripture today, as we talk about it, as we, as we look into it, here's what I want you to consider. Let's actually put the, the definition of ambition on the screen. A strong desire to do or achieve something, typically requiring hard work and determination. Now, we all have a little ambition. You might be here today and be like, I'm not sure what I'm ambitious for. We all have at least a little bit. If we didn't have any ambition, we wouldn't do anything with life. We wouldn't get out of bed. We wouldn't go to work. We wouldn't be at church. So at the very least, you've got the ambition to get up and move. And that's a good start. But I want you to think about where your desires are. 
What do you put the hard work into? What are you determined to do with your life? And as we talk about that, we're going to go into the book of Philippians, and I want you to consider, are your ambitions being fueled by Christ? What is fueling that drive? What is fueling that hard work? Is it Christ, and is it the pursuit of Christ? For those of you who are in the room who are maybe skeptical of your faith, or maybe you're not so sure your Jesus is worth following, that's okay, and that's fair. I'm glad you're here. Uh, but I believe that God has something for all of us today. Whether you're not so sure about this Jesus thing, whether you've been faithful to Jesus for a long, long time, I believe that God wants to speak to every one of us today. So before we open up the Word, before we dive in, let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for your word that we can open up and read together. And I thank you that your word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It can pierce our hearts and pierce our souls. And God, I I pray today that you speak to us, that, that you speak to our hearts. I pray that you clear our minds. I pray that you open our ears so that we hear from you. God, as I speak on the stage, I I ask you to take over. I ask you to get me out of the way. I ask you to, to, to help me listen to you rather than my notes. If there's something that I need to say, God, put it on my heart. More than anything, Jesus, we want you to be glorified today. Because it is about you. It is for you. And may you be the one that gets all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you go ahead and open up to the book of Philippians, uh, which is in the New Testament. We're in chapter 3, and we're really only looking at two verses today. We're not going to go super deep with a lot of text. We're looking at two verses, and in those two verses, we're going to find four different things that can help us define our ambition and seek after what we are ambitious towards. And the, the, the author of this passage is the Apostle Paul. And we're going to lay out a little bit of groundwork before we start reading our scripture. So Paul uh, is an ambitious person. If you don't know the New Testament, he wrote uh, several letters. This is one of them. He wrote uh, the book of Philippians to the people of a city called Philippi. Paul wrote this. And Paul is an ambitious person before Christ and after. Now, his ambitions changed after he came to know Christ. But if you don't know his story, prior to knowing Christ, his ambition was to get rid of the church, to eliminate the church. He was against Christ. And he sought and he made it his life's goal and his life's work. He was driven. He was hardworking to put an end to the early church. In fact, in Acts, uh, I believe it's chapter 6, Seven, we see uh, a man named Stephen who is stoned to death. He is the first Christian martyr, and the man who approves it and authorizes it and really is, is instrumental in all of it is Paul. He's still called Saul at that point. And then in Acts chapter 9, Paul meets Jesus, and he encounters Christ, and his life is changed so dramatically that he goes from trying to stomp out the church to grow the church. Before that, he would travel the world to go to different places and find Christians so they would scatter, so he could arrest them, so he could persecute them. And now he's going from different places to encourage them and edify them and build them up. He goes from being a persecutor to a preacher. But whether he was doing that or that, whether he was doing one or the other, Paul was an ambitious person. So I think when we talk about ambition, Paul is a great author to learn from because this is a man who was driven for all of his life. Every step of the way. And we're going to talk a little bit more about his life as we get into it. But he is a man who wanted to grow the church and destroy the church at different points in his life. So in Philippians chapter 3, we'll read in verse 13. Before we read that on the screen, in verse 5, he talks about all the things he did prior to knowing Christ. Like I just mentioned, he talks about his life before that. How he followed the law to a T, the Old Testament law, the Pharisaical law. How he... How he uh, was persecuting the church, and, and he was good at it. 
He saw success and he was rising up the ranks. He was growing in power and reputation and in wealth. And all of those things were valuable until he met Jesus. And in verse 10, he says this, I want to know Christ and experience the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And he goes on to say he gives up everything else to partner with Jesus. He tosses it all aside in favor of following and seeking after Jesus. His ambition in his life was to pursue Christ. And that's what I hope as Christ followers we can make our ambition. And now that looks different for all of us, but it's an ambition that we can share. How it plays out in our individual lives may play out differently, but may we all find that ambition. So let's start reading in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. We're just going to read the first part of the verse. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, We're reading from the ESV, the Message Bible. It's a different translation. I want to read to you, um, and now the message is a little different. It kind of bleeds a couple verses together. And the message, if you're reading it, verse 12 and 13 go together. There's no stopping point. But I like what Paul writes here, and I'm going to read it to you. Uh, Starting in verse 12, it says, I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way, Reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert. So what Paul is saying here is, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He's saying, I'm not an expert in this. I do not have life figured out. I am on a journey. And he's pointing out the first part in our ambitious journey with Christ is the importance of recognizing it is a journey. We have to recognize the journey. That is our first step. When we recognize the journey, it helps us understand that we might not have all the answers yet. We might not have it all figured out. Let's be real for for a moment. None of us have life figured out. Sometimes we think we do, and then maybe we get married or we have kids, and we realize, wow, I don't know half of what I thought I did. Show of hands, how many of you guys have life completely figured out? Good, good, honesty. Some of you guys are tempted. Some of you are like, oh, oh, nobody else? Okay, cool, I'll keep my hand down. (laughs) You know, he thought everybody was going to shoot their hand up, right? Exactly. None of us do. None of us have life figured out. Here at Miles City, we have people on staff, and any pastor in this church will tell you, they do not have all the answers. They do not have life completely figured out. I am speaking to you today, and I was not asked to speak because I'm the man who has life figured out the most. That is far from true. I do not have all the answers. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm doing that day, let alone what, where my life is taking me. We do not have the answers. But if anyone did, if anyone could say, yeah, you know what, I think I got a hold on this thing, it would probably be Paul. Paul is a guy that so many Christians aspire to be like. He tells us in Scripture, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is a guy who so many of us look up to and say, man, if we could even, if we could even hit the mark of Paul, we've done well. And even Paul is saying, hey, I don't, I don't have this all together yet. I don't have it all figured out. If there is anyone who could raise their hand, though, it would probably be him. He suffered so much persecution for Christ. In fact, what I didn't mention yet is the book of Philippians, the letter to Philippi, was written in jail. Paul was in jail at the time of this writing. So he was suffering persecution. The same thing he had been doing to the church is now being done to him. He suffered for Christ. He fled for Christ. He was shipwrecked for Christ. He was beaten for Christ. He was attacked for Christ. He ultimately died for Christ. He was jailed for Christ. This man suffered persecution after persecution, and and he still 
hadn't arrived at the final destination because he knew he was on a journey. And we need to embrace that with our ambitions. We are driven. We are motivated to see a goal. But the goal is also the journey towards the goal. As we follow Christ, sometimes we lose heart and sometimes we lose hope and sometimes we get tired and we'll talk about that more in a couple minutes. But understand that it's not a one-day solution. It is an everyday for the rest of our life decision to follow Jesus Christ. And sometimes that can be overwhelming and sometimes that can be encouraging because if today was lousy, well, you got tomorrow. And if tomorrow doesn't look so good, then you got the next day and the next day and the next day. If you're breathing, God's still doing something in you and you've got time to do something for him. So here's what I would ask. Where are your ambitions rooted? What are, are your ambitions rooted in? We can see from Paul that he was driven. He was hardworking. You say, how can we see that he was driven? He was willing to go to jail for following Jesus. He was willing to suffer for following Jesus. He was willing to, willing to endure persecution for following Jesus. And his ambitions were rooted in Christ, wanting to know Christ, which he mentioned in verse 10. I want to know Christ. Recognize that faith in Christ is a journey, and you haven't finished it yet. When we say that prayer, when we call on Jesus, when we make him our Savior, that's not the end of Christianity. That's, that's the start. Jesus says that's when we're born again. When we're born, it's, it's the brand new beginning. You might not be happy today with where you're at. Maybe you're here today and you're carrying a lot of baggage. You're carrying some shame. You're carrying some guilt. Take heart in this if you're here and you're not happy with where you're at in your journey. If you're on a journey, you're not staying where you're at forever. The spot you're in right now might not be the best. Maybe you're happy where you're at. But it's not where you're going to stay. Faith moves us. Pursuing Christ moves us. And as we continue, let's look at the second part of that verse. Let's go back to verse 13 and open it up and read the entire verse. It says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So Paul says, as we read that verse, that that word forgetting should remind us as we continue in 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 our ambition for Christ that we truly need to do this. We need to be willing to release the past. Releasing the past is so important in a journey to move forward. Too many of us are stuck in what we've already done. Too many of us are stuck living in what already happened and what already went down and what already transpired. And this is a big deal. And if I'm being honest, I'm not so comfortable talking about this as a teacher because I feel like I'm not very good at this myself. So I feel a a bit hypocritical to stand before you and say, hey, let go of your past because... I can't do that sometimes. I still hang on to hurt. I still hang on to sorrow. I still revel in some victories. I still revel in some wins. Because when we live in the past, it can be our past success and our past failures. There's two different ways we can live in the past. But either way, Paul says, I forget what is behind me and I strive for what is ahead. And I think he emphasizes one thing. There is one thing I know. I think what Paul is telling us here is if I could sum it all up, If I could sum up this this passion, this ambition for pursuing Christ into one thing, forget what's behind you and look forward to what's ahead. Easier said than done. I understand that. But let's still talk about it for a second. And, And consider who was writing this. Paul had quite the past. Paul had a past he could celebrate. Paul had a past he could be ashamed of. As someone who was passionate for following Christ, he could have looked at what he had done to the church and the members of the church and been plagued by guilt and shame and let that shame sit in him so heavy that it prevented him from doing the good works that he did. 
At the same time, Paul wrote this from jail, and he could have been saying, you know what, my life was pretty good before I, before I sold out to Jesus. I wasn't in jail. I was doing good. I was rising the ranks. I was gaining power. I was gaining wealth. That life was pretty solid. And now I'm in jail, and now I'm getting beat up wherever I go. You know what? Maybe I go back to that life. Instead, he forgets what was behind, and he looks forward to what is to come. We can be stuck in the past in a couple ways. So often what keeps us from moving forward in our ambition in general, and especially our ambition for Christ, and living a life according to his will is, is being stuck in things that already happened. Some of us hold on to our past successes. A lot of times we talk about living in the past, we talk about failures, but some of us are stuck in our past successes and how good things were. And I can tell you that's not a healthy place to live either. We cling to our identity where, where we find validity in our worth and what we did right and what we did well and where we saw success and when we were our most popular and when we were our healthiest and when we were at our brightest and our best. They can, when we live there, it keeps us focused on ourselves. I was so good then. I was doing well. I was kicking butt. I was doing great. I, 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 I. But following Christ is about him, 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 him. Listen to what uh, John Calvin says. He says, there is no worse screen to block out the spirit than confidence in our own intelligence. You want to block out the spirit of God? Believe in yourself too much to be too good. Basically saying, if we're going to live this life with Christ, filled with ambition for him, we can't live it and focus on what we've done well and what we've done good. Because what that does is it keeps us selfish. And when we are selfish, we open up a spot at the table for pride to get into the table of our lives. And listen, pride is that person that doesn't go home. We've all got that friend. We invite them over for dinner. We invite them to hang out. And then it's getting tired. And then they're overstaying their welcome. And it's like, hey, when's this dude going to leave? That's what pride does in our life. It gets a seat at the table and it says, I'm not going anywhere. When we focus on our past successes, it opens the door for pride, and pride gets a seat, and it hangs out, and it's hard to get rid of pride once it's in your life. What pride does and what living for our past successes does, it makes for a very short and small, uh, small ceiling in our growth. It stunts our growth. It stunts our, our growth in faith. And it says, what, what it really says to us is, Instead of looking to Christ, we can say, no, I can do this on my own. Look what I did before. I don't need Jesus. I don't need to pray. I don't need him. I don't need his help. I can do this on my own until you can't. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says this, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. The same Paul who wrote Philippians here in Galatians, he is saying, no matter what, the only thing I will rest in, the only thing in the past that I'm going to dwell on, the only thing in the past that I'm going to celebrate, the only thing in the past that I'm going to look to has nothing to do with me. It's what Jesus did. If I'm going to look in the past, I'm going to go way back before I was even around, and I'm going to go to the cross of Calvary because that's where my victory is found. That's where my hope is found. That's where my rest is found. That's where my ambition is, is at the cross of Calvary when Jesus paid the price for me. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the past that Paul is focused on, and that sacrifice is what drives us to look forward to Jesus in the future. Paul is saying, everything I have is because of that. Not because of what I did, but because of what he did. Not because of something I accomplished, but what he accomplished far greater than I ever could. Not because of a victory I saw, but the victory that he won at the cross. That's the only thing I will ever boast about, is the cross of Calvary. 
When we dwell on our past successes, it can keep us from following Christ because it makes us think we don't need Him all that much. But we need Jesus. We need Jesus in this world. This world needs Him bad. What's interesting is that dwelling on our failures doesn't really change things much either. Some of us dwell on all the good we've done. Some of us dwell on our failures, and it still results in the same thing, that shortened ceiling, that stunted growth. Dwelling on the past keeps us in the past. Some of you have no problem forgetting past success because you don't have that much of it. Your past haunts you. Your past hurts you. There are people in this room who have hurt, who have pain, who have trauma, who have suffered. And first, I would like to say that I'm sorry for whatever you went through. I'm sorry for the hurt you endured. I'm sorry for the pain that you have felt. And when we say forget that, I'm not saying act like it never happened because that's not natural and that's not normal. When we say forgetting the past, what, we're really, what Paul is really saying here is he's not saying act like it never happened, erase it from your mind. What he's saying is stop holding on to it. Because some of us, whether it's our, our wins or our losses, whether it's our hurts or our pains or our victories, what we're doing is we're holding on to it. And as long as we hold on to something, it makes it harder to move forward. Imagine running a race but dragging a, brick, a, a, a big rock behind you. Let go of the rock. You're going to run faster and you're going to run farther. And that's what some of us do with our pain and with our hurt is we hold on to it and we sit in our failures and we sit in the moments where we failed and we sit in the moments where we made the wrong choices and we sit in the moments where we, where we sinned the greatest and we sit in that shame where some of us, it's not our sins, it's the sins that others have committed to, against us the ones who have hurt us the most. But we've all failed. We all know what failing feels like. We've all got failed relationships. We've all got failed attempts. Some of us have failed at jobs. Some of us have failed classes. Some of us have failed to reach goals. And we know what it's like to strive for something and not hit it and feel like a failure. We all fail, but the danger of dwelling in that past failure is that instead of failure becoming just a moment in our life, we end up believing that failure is what we are. And I want you to understand today, that is not who God says you are. God does not say that you are a failure. God did not design you to be a failure. That is the opposite of God's great plan for you. God's plans for you are not for you to fail, but for you to prosper and to do well and to see success. He designed it in you. He designed you with your identity so that you could be found in him and not found in your past failures. And that's why Paul challenges us to let go of what's behind. Now, when he's saying, again, forgetting what lies behind, I really want to reiterate, I'm not asking you to act like your pain never happened. I'm asking you if you can let go of it. And that might take work. And that might take prayer. And that might take counsel. And that might take some help from others. But it's something I think is worth exploring. Are you holding on to something? What past influences are keeping you from pursuing what lies ahead? What are you hanging on to in your past a little too tight? What's, what are you gripped into back there? And can I tell you something about Jesus? If you're looking for Jesus, don't look in your past. Not to say that he didn't work in your life. Not to say that you can't find moments of victory or joy or anything like that. Uh, I was, my wife and I were talking while we were in Puerto Rico sharing with some of our sent people. And she was talking about how even before she knew Christ, she could look back on her life and see Christ working before she knew him. 
I'm not saying to not do that. But what I'm saying is Jesus is not staying in our past. This book was written a long time ago, but Jesus is not confined to the book. You guys know the cross is empty. The tomb is empty. Jesus isn't there anymore. Jesus isn't in your past anymore. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we believe that Jesus Christ is alive, and he is ahead. He is in our future. Look forward to find Christ. Don't just look for him in the past. You can find moments of him, but he don't live there anymore, so why should we? What is holding on to your past? Forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead. Our ambition should be fueled by the hope and the freedom found in Jesus. When we were in Puerto Rico this week, uh, the day we got there, we did this training, and we learned a little history about the island, and some of it I didn't know. Now, a lot of us know that hurricanes happen and stuff like that. I was unaware of the magnitude of suffering that the island of Puerto Rico has endured. Just in the last seven, eight, maybe nine years, they have seen complete economic collapse on their island. The government of Puerto Rico has collapsed. Uh, Hurricane Irma and Hurricane Maria hit them consecutively in years so uh, powerfully that the entire island lost power at one point, and there was many people on the island who lost power and lived without power for up to 10 months. Months. We know what it's like in Michigan to lose power in the winter with the ice and stuff like that. Maybe we get the generator out. If we, are, if we don't have power for two days, we lose our freaking minds. <laughs> 10 months living without electricity. Living without AC, living without, I guess you wouldn't need heat down there, but living without those things. Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Marie. And then, to top it all off, a 6.5 magnitude earthquake on the Richter scale hit Puerto Rico for like the first time in the island's history. This is one after another. Boom, boom, boom. This island and the people of this island got hit. People lost their homes. People lost their lives. People lost their jobs, their livelihoods. We heard so many stories. And then we went to church on Sunday. And we went to a church with locals, with people who lived there. And they sang a song called Cornerstone. Christ alone, cornerstone. And one of the lines of that song says this. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. And can I tell you something? When that church sang that line, so many hands went up and so many voices were raised. And they sang it from their soul. You know, you can just tell when somebody's just feeling it. That church was filled with people crying out. To Jesus, through the storm, you are Lord. Listen, if you can survive a literal hurricane that wrecks your life, upends your life, takes your home, takes your loved ones, and you can still say, through the storm, Jesus Christ is Lord of all, that's not living in the past. That's looking forward to what's ahead. That church had, that church had a hold on what was right. That's a picture of forgetting what is behind and straining for what's ahead. We can't move forward without releasing the past of Jesus. So what does life that is ambitious for pursuing Christ look like? Let's read the first part of verse 14. Verse 14 says, but, uh, uh, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. We're just going to focus on that first part. I press on towards the goal. The idea of this is relentless pursuit. Ambition makes us pursue something relentlessly. Relentless pursuit is the next step in ambition. The words press toward is from the Greek word, oh, I butchered this in the first service, apectinome. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> That's what the word press towards means. 
Press towards. And that word pictures a foot racer. It's the image of a racer who is racing hard, running with everything they have. Maybe you've watched the Olympics or a track meet, and you see that person who is running, and every muscle in their body is flexed to the point. You're like, I don't think I have some of those muscles that they have. And they are running. And if you've ever run hard in a race, you know that sometimes your body tightens up, and you cramp, and your heart starts to beat out of your chest, and you're sweating, and you just keep pushing forward. You can't stop for water in the middle of the race. You can't stop and sit down in the middle of the race because you're running forward towards a goal. That's the kind of ambition that we need to have. Listen, there is a story that uh, Maya shared with me that is insane. I'm going to share this with you. I'm going to read it. It's called the Westfield Sydney to Melbourne Ultra Marathon. I never knew that an ultra marathon was a thing until I read about this. A regular marathon is already too much for me. An ultra marathon, 543.7 miles. Running, 543.7 miles. I don't even want to drive 543 <laughs> miles. Even flying, I'm like, I don't think so. I'll just stay home. 543.7 miles. This is an ultra marathon in the nation of Australia, and they, go, they basically run from Sydney to Melbourne. And in 1983... 150 athletes signed up to be in this race. And listen, you don't sign up for a 540-mile race if you're not in shape. So just picture the most athletic people you can picture, showing up in all their gear. They've got all their stuff, and they're ready. And amongst the racers, one guy came out to join the race. He was 61 years old. He was wearing overalls, and he had galoshes on. And it also says, and I think this part's kind of funny, he left his dentures at home. And he was later interviewed, and the reason why he said it is because when I run, my teeth rattle. His name was Cliff Young. Here's the backstory on Cliff. Cliff grew up on a 2,000-acre farm, and from a young age, he was in charge of watching out and keeping in check 2,000 sheep across 2,000 acres. And on that farm, they were not spoiled. They did not have any cars or anything that he could drive to get them in. They did not have any horses that he could ride. So when the storms came and the 2,000 sheep had to be herded up, Cliff had to do it on foot, and he would have to often chase down 2,000 sheep across 2,000 acres. And sometimes it would take days. So this guy had some training in a uh, not-so-usual uh, way. And so he signed up for this race at the age of 61 years old, and he lines up, and the gun goes off, and he starts running, and it's called the Cliff Young Shuffle. That's what they called it. In fact, they said as the race started and he started running, people started laughing at how he ran. The best way I can picture it is when you're in a parking lot and a car's coming, and you do that pretend to run, but you're not really. It's kind of like, oh. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not running, but I'm just going to act like I am. That's what the Cliff Young Shuffle was. And this race started, and the runners were off, and Cliff Young says, here I go in my overalls, you know. <laughs> By the end of day one, no surprise, he's in dead last. Dead last. Let's fast forward. Five days, 15 hours, four minutes later, Cliff Young shuffled across the finish line in first place. He won the race. Now, how did this happen? How did he do this? Well, here's why. And by the way, he didn't win by a few seconds. He didn't win by a few minutes. He finished 10 hours ahead of second place, and only six people even finished the race. He dominated. Here's how. The racers who trained, race, trained by this schedule, 18 hours of running, six hours of sleep. 
So when the race started, they would run for 18 hours and stop and rest for six hours. 18 and six, 18 and six, 18 and six. Nobody told Cliff about the sleeping part. From the moment the gun started until he crossed the finish line, he never stopped running. For five days, this guy was moving. That's how he won. Because nothing stopped him from pressing on towards the goal. In his case, sleep or eating or the bathroom. He just kept going. Everyone else stopped. Everyone else slowed down. Everyone else took breaks. Cliff kept moving, and he won the race. What's my point by telling this story? The point is, as Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, let's set aside every weight and burden that distracts us, and let's run with endurance, with ambition, the race that is set before us. Let's press on towards the goal to win the prize. Guys, the life with Christ is not a hundred-yard dash. It is an ultra-marathon. We do not run this, life, run this race. We do not live this life to impress, but to press on. What are you pressing towards? What are you pushing towards? What are you running towards? Are you relentlessly pursuing Christ's call in your life or the world's, world's call in your life? Where is your energy being spent? Where are you being sidetracked? Where can you remove that and press on? I want you to hear me today. If you are tired, if you are weary, if you are thinking about quitting, if you are thinking about throwing in the towel, I would encourage you to press on. Life is hard and life beats us up. Press on. So here we are at the end of this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's another verse that talks about a prize. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we are imperishable. Paul paints a picture here of these Olympics-level athletes who run and commit their life to training just to win those little leaf crowns that they would wear, and those things just died. He said, we're running to win a prize, and our prize is much, much bigger. Our trophy, our lifelong jackpot, we call it our royal reward. That is what we were running towards, the prize, the royal reward that I would encourage you to drive towards, to, to put your life's effort into is Jesus Christ himself. Can you think of a better, a better prize than Christ? Standing face to face with the king of the universe, and scripture tells us that when we stand face to face with him, he is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So run hard. Run, run more. Press on to hear those words when we come face to face with our king. He's going to say, well done, which is motivation to pursue him, over everything else because he says well done. He doesn't say well said. He doesn't say well rested. He doesn't say well played or well worked or well, well earned. He says well done. Jesus is the prize. The one who created you, the one who created me with intention, with purpose, with, with gifts. And that intention and that purpose for relationship with him and the goal is to love him and glorify him with our lives. He created us for that. The one who spoke the world into the existence. The one who created mountains and, and, high, and, 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 and oceans and, and, and rivers and valleys. The one who created the forests and nature and everything we see. The one who created every person in this room and made us all uniquely different. 
the originator of mankind, the producer who created the most important people in your life, that is what we are running towards. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the great physician. He is the mighty comforter. He is the bread of life. He is the redeemer. He is the restorer. He is the prince of peace. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And that's just scratching the surface of who he is. If I just scrapped everything and said, hey, guys, I'm just going to tell you who Jesus is by name today, I'd be up here for an hour and a half. And that's the only names we know of. Jesus is everything, the one and only Christ. There is nothing in this world like him, and it's not Jesus the carpenter that we see in in paintings and portraits, which, by the way, he didn't even look like that. But that's not who we're going to see. We're going to see him in his glorified body saying, well done. That is our prize. And what's amazing is that same big God wants a personal, real relationship with you. Scripture tells us in uh, 2 Peter that God's desire is that no one, would be lost. God doesn't want anyone to be separated from him. What God wants is for all of us to spend eternity with him, and we do that through repentance of our sins and turning away and leaving our past behind and pursuing after him. He wanted that so much for us that as we talked about, as Paul talked about, he looks back to the past and he sees it in the cross because what Jesus did is he came to this earth and he died on the cross and he paid the price. He paid for my sins, those sins that I can't let go of. He paid for your sins, those things you can't let go of. They're paid for, they're conquered, they're defeated, they're dead, he's not. And he put him in the ground and he rose again so that if we trust in him, we can have an eternal relationship with him. Now, some of you may have lived this life with ambition. Some of you might be pursuing that, and I applaud you. I commend you. Keep on fighting the good fight. Keep on running the race. Some of you are here today, and you've taken a break. He said, it's gotten too much. I need to rest. I get it, but I would encourage you to get back in the race. Press on towards the goal. And then there's some of you who may say, you know what? I haven't called on Jesus. I have not made him the author and perfecter of my faith. I have not called on his name. I have not trusted him to do those things for me. Can I tell you, it's easy because all the work was done at Calvary. All you have to do, Scripture tells us, is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is God and God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. If that's you and you never put your faith in Jesus, I want to give you a chance to do that. Let's close with a word of prayer. And before we pray corporately. I'm speaking now to those of you who might not know Christ as your Savior. If you want today to be the day that Jesus is yours, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I confess my sins to you. I acknowledge, Lord, that you died on the cross for me. I trust that your death paid for my sins, and I believe that you rose again. I lower my life, and I surrender to you. Thank you for saving me, and today, I enter into relationship with you. As we continue to pray, if you prayed that prayer today, just know that you are with Christ forever. I'm going to pray for the rest of us. Father, I pray that you fill us. I pray that you give us motivation that we need to pursue you, to move forward, to move ahead towards you. May we run the race for the ultimate prize for you, Jesus. May our ambitions in every aspect of life be rooted in you, found in you. May our hope be found in nothing else but you, Jesus.
your name we pray. Amen. You know, here at Miles City, um, we have the opportunity to help people. You know, in Puerto Rico, we helped some families, and that's great. Help is good. Hope is better. If you need help, we would love to help you, but we want to offer you hope, and that hope is Jesus that we just talked about. If you've got questions, if you want to know more about it, I'll be at the connect table or in the hall. I'd love to talk to you about it. Find someone you know. Ask those questions. Don't go home wondering. Go home knowing.